Ladies and gentlemen. And we're back. This is Drew Sits with tonight. I'm joined by Vic Pandya. We'll kind of do a little bit of an interview. We'll talk about like when you first started stand up, maybe where you grew up. Did you grow up in the Burbs, Chicagoland area? Yeah, I grew up in Naperville. Okay. So Naperville, born and raised. Uh, went to school at DePaul. So been in the city for since college. Uh, started stand up after college. What high school? Well, Bonzi. Ooh. What's the hierarchy of the Naperville high schools? It's like well, Bonzi is like it's interesting because well, Bonzi people from Naperville still claim it, but it's in Aurora technically. Okay. So there's Nequa, Nequa, and there's Valley, Matea, yeah. which are the two Naperville schools, and those are real hoity-toity. Yeah. Well, Bonzi was considered like if you're going to Bonzi, like dude, it's kind of not great. Like you went to Bonzi, but I was happy okay. for that because it was a way more diverse school, and I had like my friend group from there. I think set me up for college really well, That's um, cool. and like I just. I don't know. I just yeah, I think it's like comedy, like in friend groups. Like you want to be around a diverse group. Like yeah, just makes for better experiences, better stories. You know. Um, yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, and uh, and Wabonzi is still nice. It just gets like shit on because relative to like other suburbs, you know, or Naperville is just very <laughs> Naperville people have a there's a there's definitely a stereotype about Naperville. Sure. Yeah. You know. Yeah, the downtown school. I've been there a couple times, but I grew up in Bartlett actually. Oh, Bartlett. Okay. So kind of yeah. right, maybe thirty minutes away, something like that. Sure. But. uh Okay, cool. So what did you study at DePaul? I studied finance and economics, which is what every comedian, you know, does in their business <laughs> as a prereq for comedy. Yeah. It's finance and econ. No, I just, yeah, I was, I was really, I was like, I gotta be, I want to do something in business. I don't really know what, um, if I do finance, it's broad enough because finance is applicable to so many things. You do a little accounting, yeah. a little marketing, you know, you either go finance or like engineering, right? That's kind of, that's kind of the thing or doctor, but my brother already took that and I was like, good, I don't need to do that. Um, I meant for the average college yeah. student. <laughs> so it was actually, and now it's interesting to Paul has a comedy major. That's crazy. Um, Columbia has a comedy writing. I think DePaul okay, has the same one. Can you teach comedy? So you can, I actually teach stand-up at Second City. Um, Damn, legendary. And, yeah, and at the Laughing Academy in Glenview. So you oh. can teach, it's, it's, there's different views on it. What it really is, is it just, it's teaching habits. So you're not, you can't sit someone down and be like, be funny. Like, that's not how it works, right? Yeah. But what you're teaching people is like, you know, joke structure, like set up punchline. You're also right. teaching different types of jokes. Like, is it, you know, a left field joke? Is it a observational joke? Is it an absurd joke? And then you're also teaching people like, uh, habits, like perform every day, write every day. Like these are just like things that you got to get good at. Right. And sometimes people need a class to get in that habit. Cause it's very hard with stand up. It's all self elected, right? Like I can choose to go to an open mic today or I can just be like, yeah. no, no one cares. No, I'm not accountable. Right, you know? No one's holding your hand. Yeah. yeah. So it's not until you start doing shows, making money and you have a schedule and all that stuff. Like first couple of years of stand up is like real, it's at your own pace, you know? Right. And they say it's kind of like 10 years until you like are considered a legit stand comedian. Obviously some people are sooner. Some people are later. Yeah. I would say it's like 10 years of what I hear here is like 10 years to find your voice as a comedian. Okay. Um, but uh, people who are like 10 years plus, if you haven't been doing it for like five or 10 years, they probably don't, they're like not going to look at you because they're like, you haven't put enough time in, you know? Right. But now there is this interesting thing happening with like social media and people kind of like blowing up like two, three years in yeah. and then they get asked a headline. 
it normally took like eight to ten years to become a headliner, right. like to be a legit headliner, have an hour of material that works everywhere. Um, but now it's like you can start headlining like two years in, but you have like fifteen minutes of material. So right, you're like, yeah, I can do th- I can do forty five. Yeah, and and they cannot just scratch do crowd work. But you can sell tickets sometimes. So the clubs will be like, oh, I don't care if you can sell tickets. So then it's like an interesting time right now in comedy. But yeah. people kind of understand within the comedy community. Yeah, you still are like a bona fide comedian after like eight to ten years you know right. it's kind of where like the masters are like 20 years yeah if you go to like new york like or la and you go to like the store or the cellar you got guys the host at the cellar was 35 years in crazy which is just like i mean it's funny because in, in chicago eight to ten years onward is kind of considered a veteran right and i feel like i'm like the old guy now in the scene sometimes but then i go to new york and i'm like i'm not even on the poster they're like no you're like nobody here so it's very funny yeah everybody kind of leaves chicago right yeah it's a weird thing i mean now, luckily, we do get some more industry stuff happening here. The reason people leave is because, unlike New York or L.A., we have a, an amazing scene here with clubs, and we have, like, Laugh Factory. We have Zane. It's, like, nationally known clubs. Right. But then we don't have the industry opportunities. We don't have, like, the writing jobs here. We don't have, um, you know, some of the acting stuff here. But now a lot of that stuff is here. Like, we have do have a lot of shows being shot in Chicago. Right. We don't have the late-night circuit and scene. We don't have, like, the comedy shows, but we are getting uh, a lot of that stuff now is remote, so you can be in Chicago. We have the Onion is here, you know? Like, we do have some stuff that's specific to us. We have Second City. Right. So, there is, now the more I, like, I think about it is, like, I was going to move at the beginning of the pandemic to New York, and then that obviously got squashed, and I was yeah. like, that's just started touring from here, and I was like, well, do I need to, do I need to move, or could I kind of just do what I'm doing now. So are you a road dog? I would say yes. I mean, I'm not every weekend, but there has been, there'll be a couple months where I'm gone every weekend, you know, but I'm not like 40 weekends a year. I I mean, I don't want to be necessarily that. No. Um, Because it wears on you. uh, Sure. You know, I do think it's like helpful to build a special or build material. Like, you know, I, I was kind of, I headlined Zanies again at the band this year. And then from then I did like three back-to-back weekends on the road. So I just like was kind of, I did all this material for an hour at Zanies. And then I got to like three weekends back-to-back. I got to just work all this new stuff um, and still use some of that older stuff. But it was like very fun because I got to just kind of start from scratch. But I had to fill 45 minutes to an hour every night, right? So it was exciting. It was also scary because, you know, once you're done with that hour, you've been running it for so long, you're tired of it. So then you're like, I just want to do all this new stuff. So you're kind of forced you're into making all this new content, which is kind of what the best and worst part about comedy is. You're just like constantly building up. You work all this and then you're like, that's done now. Right. On to the Unless new you're thing. a letterman or Seinfeld or, yeah, but it seems like that's a, it's not the right way to do it. They can argue for whatever reason, but you got to turn it over. You got to turn it over. And I think like Louie was the one who started doing the hours every year that kind of changed the format. But now honestly, people are like, putting out half hours people are putting out 20 minutes makes specials. sense yeah so no one's really like there's no rules anymore it's and what almost do you just, have out i know you have a special right i have so i have a dry bar comedy special which is half an hour of clean jokes meaning no swearing uh that's been out for a couple of years um i have a comedy album that debuted number one on itunes top yeah. 10 on billboard that's been out since 2019 um, yeah, yeah so good. I like There's that. Some claps there for you. Yeah, good. I appreciate it. Uh, then I have another album that's about a half hour of just like it. Just I call it like the B sides, but released in the same year. Actually, I released that during the pandemic just for free. Um, but it's just like fun, kind of other material. I don't do it anymore. It's just kind of like a project I had done on the side. That's cool. Um, and then I have an OnlyFans TV special, which Hell is yeah. a new, <laughs> that's the newest thing I got. I got that uh, in July of 2023. Sweet. So 
OnlyFans now is just getting to the content game totally. other than what they have like cooking shows. It's very funny when you're like, I have an OnlyFans special. People are like, are you like naked on that? I'm like, no, it's just stand it's up. It's good credit. It's a good credit. So that's only 10 minutes. So that's how Even they're better. they're getting smaller and smaller. Right. Um, but a couple bucks, you get this thing that I produced. Yeah, awesome. and uh, the cool about the OnlyFans thing is it's free on their OnlyFans platform on the OnlyFans TV. Oh, okay. So, but people can then go to my OnlyFans and tip me <laughs> or you know do whatever. Right. The DMs are open. Feet pics and uh, it's wild because. All the women who did the special, they have like a thousand followers already just from the special. And then sure. people are just saying like, send me a picture, whatever. And for me, it's like one guy is like, I could pay, I guess, for a picture. Like, it's like, no right. one's like super excited, Fuck. you know? But it's nice because the people following you are like, they're fans of your comedy then. It's kind of like an additional, Oh yeah, it's an additional group of people that are like, oh, I like this guy's comedy, not anything else. And I kind of like that it's a pure subset of that you know there's obviously some people that are there for other stuff but yeah. it's nice to have like in addition to my instagram tiktok following all these this like oh i have this other group of yeah. people that's another stream you know makes sense so what about improv if you're working for second city does that mean you do improv comedy so i uh trained as an improviser and i first started doing stand-up like it nine years ago i okay went to second city explain yeah. the difference sir so Impro improv versus stand-up, you mean? Yeah. So improv is like, if you've seen like Whose Line Is It Anyway, um, you know, there's some other shows, like sketch shows. Improv is very, it's not, stand-up is like pre-written and you go on stage with a microphone, one guy, yep. you do jokes. Improv is all made up on the spot. So there's a group, there's an ensemble, they call it. So there's say there's like five people in the group, <laughs> right? And you're group? all, yeah, and you go up and you, you create a scene or right. you play what they call short form games. So, a game could be like whose line, like a whose line is games, right? They're like, when I buzz this thing, you're gonna have to do this. Right. But that's all they're make, making you react in the moment. Right. But the difference between improv and stand up is, like I said, improv is all on the spot. You don't prepare for that. You just get better at those games or the scenes. People do create entire scenes out of nothing. Right. It gives um, you quick. It gives you. That's the thing. It's usually. There's a lot of bad improv, but when it's good, it's like incredible because it's hundred percent. It's what the people want with these it's exactly correct crowd yeah. work clips. It's that like yeah. in the moment, and that's where the overlap lays, right? Or right. lies is like you get the crowd work, which is all in the moment. Like I have a, also have a special that's all crowd work on okay. YouTube. That's half an hour Very of just cool. improvised. Right. So I lean on that improv background pretty heavily, and I was doing improv just like training with another like a coach once a week like our, our team kind of stuck together we didn't really do as many shows as stand-up but we kept our skills kind of up up until a few years ago because i was like this is helpful for stand-up it's also helpful for like acting like a lot of places when you go into an acting yeah. like a script they're like okay improvise this scene and you're like they're like you have the script but like improvise it yeah. so they want you to kind of take your comedic view on it so improv is just helpful for like everything i mean i recommend it and there used to be a lot of synergy between improv and stand-up right especially in Chicago where we have second city. But now after the pandemic improv got hit so hard that like there used to be all these shows where like it'd be stand up and improv together. Now it's very much like stand up or improv. Interesting. So I was happy because when I came up, I could open for improv teams on like a Monday at IO at 10 o'clock at night. And I'm like, this is better than open mic. I'll do Boys. 10 minutes here yeah. instead of bombing for three minutes at an open <laughs> mic, you know? So I use that to kind of like maximize my stage time and just get ahead quickly, you know? Yeah, it makes sense. I heard on the on your podcast that you did a burlesque show or something like that. Yeah, dude, I do. So now it's a little bit better because I've been, I kind of know what to pick and choose, but 
it's also a problem as a comic. You just you don't know how to say no to anything. Yeah, so especially early on, you're just so hungry for stage time that I met this burlesque performer at a uh, mixed open mic, and then she's like, sure. "Hey, yeah, <laughs> she's like, hey, uh, I got the show coming up at Cafe Mustache, which should have been my first sign. I was a place called Cafe Mustache. I'm like, Mustache, Mustache, yeah, it's gonna be. Oh man, Not you really mustache. have listened. You've really listened to this podcast. I've to a couple episodes. <laughs> and she was like, "Do you want to come host it?" So in my eyes, I was like, oh, this is good, just a good host opportunity. You know, it's going to be some variety. It might be some burlesque. I get there, and it's Sideshow, which I never heard of. Ridiculous. Sideshow is like people like stapling themselves. It's a lot of like weird shit. It's a lot of like pain stuff. And I'm hosting, meaning I have to like do time yeah. because it's a lot of setup for that stuff too. So when you're hosting something like that, you have to like go up after the act and be like, that was crazy. Like then you do a joke right. or you Holy like, shit. Yeah. And there's, like, blood on the stage. I'm like, cool, we all get hepatitis, like, whatever. And she didn't tell me, like, what – I didn't know, I guess, what it was. Yeah. Um, but it was a good experience because, like, again, as an improviser but a stand-up, I was like, how do I make material that fits this, but also how do I keep this event going? And right. if I was just stand-up with no improv background, I would have been like, I don't know what the fuck to do, right? But it was actually helpful because it was like I got to kind of – figure my way out and like got the audience to like me enough where like yeah. I'd go up between every act and they'd be like oh it's cool like he's back you You're know it's like the voice in the person's head like yeah narrating what's going on and that's on. what's cool about yeah. being a host is like you know it's the hardest job on any show it's the most important part of the show but you do have this rapport with the audience you build yeah and it's very cool because you can see it on a show like that the audience is like they're relieved to see you. You're kind of like the baseline. And they're like, if someone bombs on a show and then you go back up, they're like, all right, he's going to clean it up. Like, it's fine. Like, there's a trust with the host, you know? Right. And when you see good hosts get that endearing thing quickly, yeah. you're like, oh, that's what I want to do. So I've always strived to be like a good host first, you know? Right. And I think that translates into like being a good comedian. Did you ever watch Pete Holmes' TV show? Um, the Crash, yeah, great show. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. But so he does warm-up. For a TV show. Yes. Have you ever done something like that? Um, kind of some similar things. Like a lot of times, you know, like I'll sometimes get asked to do shows where you're technically, it's not like a formal production show, but they're like, you're the stand-up relief for this event or this, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. So that can be anything from like a wedding that can Ooh. be, yeah, which are can be brutal, right? Yeah. But can be really fun, like a rehearsal dinner or something like that. True. Um, but then it can also be like a high school graduation. And you're like, I don't, I'm t 15 years older than everyone here. It's weird, you know? Like Actually, a bar mitzvah or something? Yeah, stuff, oh a bar mitzvah. God, I've done a couple of those. I've done like every thing where you're like, you shouldn't do stand up there. I've done that. <laughs> that's, that's, how you do, that's how you get good, I'm, I'm assuming. That's how you get good, but it's also how you, how you make money. I mean, right. you know, if you want to be full time, like, if you're doing, even if you're a headlining comedian like at this level, like a road comic, yeah. you're making like $40,000 a year, maybe. And people, when you say that to comedians, they're like, that's amazing. I would love to do that. Right. But, Wait, you, you know. You got to quit your job? Yeah. yeah. And they're like, right. that's the dream is to tell, make a living telling jokes, right? But if you want to be like living comfortably, you have to do colleges. You got to do private gigs. You got to do court. Un unless you get to a point where your stand-up gets to a level where you're filling like theaters, right, you know, or you're, audience or, or you're headlining clubs every weekend where you're like, you have a door deal or something like that. Like there's guys who are doing that, by the way. There's, like, you're in with the improv. You work at all the improvs. You're, yes. you're kind of year set up almost. You know? And those, then you can make some money because you make a couple thousand every weekend. That That's a livable, you know, thing. Right. But my problem was I never wanted to degrade my lifestyle. I worked in finance. I worked in HR. Like I was money. making six figures and I was like, I can't, I obviously did take a little bit of a day. That's not sustainable in stand up, but I was like, yeah. I wanted to make it. 
a way where I'm like, I know there's like a need. There's like other things. There's content creation. There's like, I'm doing some of that now. I'm creating right. content for brands and, and stuff. So I'm like- Supplement your income yeah. with comedy until you're- completed. Exactly. And and that's that. what's cool about it now is I, I'm like finding other ways to like, I'm like, I, I get hired to do roasts. I get hired to do these other events. So I'm like, these are all comedy. I'm still not at a desk. I'm still out of an office. And I'm like, that is great. I can still do that. Yeah. And that's why Chicago is so appealing because I have all this Midwest- kind of connections and all these like shows I do all these all these people I've like built up relationships with over the years so I'm hesitant to leave because I like I have to rebuild all that yeah you're a rookie like it's not like you're gonna work at the best club in New York or LA no it would take time and that's why I'm trying to make trips out to New York to get like I worked at the stand a couple times I'm trying to like basically get past as they call it like work the club here I'm past everywhere so I can literally just text the booker really cool of like you know and be like hey something fell through can i go out tonight like yeah. i work the comedy bar all the time i can literally like i i will have a weekly show there so it's like very nice for me i'm set up very well to be like i'm on the road on the weekend i come during the week i work on new material do everyone's shows and then like it's just like a very nice setup my family's like 40 minutes away like i'm very comfortable yeah but i also understand like you got to be uncomfortable to create good shit you know yeah but you could you could feature for somebody who's big, who likes you, and they take you on the road, right? That's also yeah. a stepping stone. That's a stepping stone. The issue is you you can do that, but it's very hard then to like break into your own thing. Oh, you right. get then you get seen as like a feature, right? Right, you're that um, guy's guy. Or if you're, and it's I think it's a very smart step if if you can do it. I for some reason I guess because of the pandemic, I was like featuring pretty heavily locally and i was like hoping that would happen to me i was like okay i've opened for like roy wood jr michelle wolf i'm hoping someone like take me on the road not just do like one show and then the pandemic hit and then the clubs were like hey we we can't afford to bring out the netflix headliner that we had planned because we have 50 seats to sell not 100 Uh, because reduced capacity but they're like we know you have the time you featured for us like i've seen you do multiple sets you have 45 minutes so i started headlining kind of like a year or two probably sooner than like on the normal track so once i started headlining from that feature stage then i was like after the pandemic ended they're like oh you're a headliner now so it was kind of like this i kind of jumped a step i feel like yeah while other people weren't working you were able to yeah i was kind of able to headline like sporadically during the pandemic and then it kind of emerged as like oh he's just a headliner now it kind of was great because i was like yeah like I just was like, that's right. Like I'm at, yeah. so then now I'm like at a point where I'm, it's it's good because then I can do these smaller rooms and headline and be like, okay, it's worth my time because I'm getting good time. I'm getting, you know, I can bring people from Chicago to like for them to feature or whatever. Right, right. But um, obviously at the headliner level like that, when you're like someone that big, you bring other headliners to open for you. Mm-hmm. You know, like Aziz Ansari was bringing Mateo Lane and Sam Marill on the road with him. Mateo Lane, Chicago guy, right? Yeah, Chicago guy, um, super funny. Now is on a theater tour. Insane. So that's like things like that where you're like, oh, this is possible. I just need to get to a level of like build up my audience enough. And like it, yeah. it's like, you know, the, the, they are, the results are coming in. Like, you know, selling out Zanies three times in a row. You know, selling out the House of Blues for a special. Like, Chicago itself, like, I feel like I have a good handle on it. Now it's a matter of, like, how do I go to Iowa and do the same thing, you know? Yeah, is the audience going to – it's got to be social media, right? Yeah, it's social media. It's also just, like, time in, too. Like, some people, they don't care about social media. There's some parts of the country where they're, like, they're still, like, on Facebook. Yeah. And that's what they use. (laughs) And, like, there's other parts where they're, like, it's so hip. They're, like, I deleted my Facebook, like, six months. Like, it's, like, a very – so there is an element of, like, being in it long enough, too, you know? Um, But if you're so viral, you're so big, you can cut a lot of those – 
those corners. But I again, guess. are you skipping steps? Blah blah. It seems like yeah. you wouldn't be at this point, right? You're, no, at this you're point, I think emotional. I started at the right time for me at least because I was like, there wasn't this clip craze of like everyone's putting out everything all the time. It was a very big deal to put something out. Like oh, yeah. nine years ago, it was very hard to get a clip because you're like, I got to hire someone to come film me. And if I if the show is bad, then I can't use the clip. And the clips were purely for submitting to other stuff. Right. There wasn't a public need. You didn't want to give up that material. No, no one wanted to give it up. And now with the rise of crowd work, but people are just putting out specials for free. Like, yeah, the you know, YouTube thing, yeah. YouTube is all, because then those get seen. Everyone's just trying to get seen more and get bigger. So there's a, there's a give and take. Like half the stuff I put out, I'm like, this is, I'm putting this out with the intention of a return on this. Yeah. And that return could be likes, it could be follows, it could be people at the shows. It right. It's not really tangible all the time, but you have to have a balance. Like you can't give everything away, but you can give away more than you think. And then in, in sacrifice of building a bigger audience. Right. And you also don't want to put something out too soon. Right. A lot of people do that and yeah. it's bad. And then you kind of shit the bed because you're like, people that come to that, they're like, this is the, I'm not going to go see this person. Right. Yeah. And if you're not good enough to build up another hour in the next year, it's like, how the fuck? Yeah. You're I mean, I just, I had that hour from Zanies from January 7th, I think I did it. And I was like, all right. Where were you on January 6th? <laughs> yeah. I was like, that's, it was very funny. They had the date. I was like, really? I, I, first joke I made, I was like, man, you guys all made it back in time. Okay. Like, you know, like, but it was just, it's one of those things where I'm like, I'm like sitting on this hour and I'm like, already I'm like, I got, I'm at like 15, 20 new minutes off that. So I'm like, okay, I have this, but now it's all material. I didn't do any crowd work on that really. So part of me is like, I should have sit on this for a little bit, yeah. build the next half hour at least, and then I can start dropping stuff from this. Totally. You know? And that's, I think you could tell a couple old jokes, right? To kind of, yeah. And, and at this stage, I'm not famous enough where people are going to be like, I heard that, right. you know, like, <laughs> and, and honestly, jokes are, if you go see someone for an hour, yeah. you're not going to remember every single joke. Yeah. I mean, it is something that I feel like an obligation to my crowd. If you see me at Zany's year over year, three years in a row, yeah. it's a different hour every time, right? But if I'm in Iowa in February at Teehees or whatever, and I go back in like September, there might be a few jokes I repeat or whatever. But like the crowd is also going to be so different, right? Because like they're coming from the yeah. What are the odds yeah, that the same same exact people? Like yeah. it is cool though, because then you go to these smaller markets, and you're like those people, are like oh, I saw you here two years ago, and you're like that's cool, that's cool, and that's what you want. But yeah. it's not going to be one to one. Basically, is my point every time, right? Right, right, right. <sighs> okay, so what about like Austin? Obviously, you said you were going to go to New York pre-pandemic. Yeah. Austin really wasn't a thing until after the pandemic. Yeah, Austin's interesting because I haven't been there since the boom. Okay. But I, I need to go just to see what it's like because it sounds very similar to New York where there's like a ton of clubs, right. ton of time. You can get up a lot. From what I've heard is most people are bad because they got this huge boom of comics who were, to right. your point, not ready. But they're like, Austin is where like Joe Rogan's going to see me. I'm going to be huge. Right. Or I'm going to get on Kill Tony and be huge. And they go there without building up that kind of solid base. Yeah. And that's why Chicago was great to start in. Because for the long time, like, you're like, yeah, I have all the stage time. I can get good. I can take risks. And no one here has really seen it. Like, no industry. Right. So I can fail and try things. But then find my voice quicker. Right. And now when I go to a, another show, like a New York or LA, they're like, oh, you're, like, solid already. You're like, and Chicago has that rep. It's like, totally. the comment from here have a certain pedigree of, like, you're a Chicago comic. It means something, you know, and people here are very like proud of that. I'm Even sure. like open micers, like I'll take sometimes with me to small, either like I'll take open micers to do spots sometimes. Cause I'm like, 
our open micers are stronger than like a feature in Arkansas or whatever, right. you know, like really that's just because of purely by volume, number of sets, club work, variety of audiences. Right. And there's a Midwest work ethic. hundred percent. Yeah. It's just a lot of combination. There. Like you can, it's very funny as like a, a game, like you'll see a comic, you're like, you try to decide where they're from when you see their act. And like, it's like LA has like the worst, like kind of like the worst, like stereotype. You're like, Oh, this person's doing a lot of act outs, not really a lot of jokes, a lot of talking, a lot of just like miming. Yeah. Cool sneakers, cool jacket or whatever. Be like, no jokes. You're like LA probably. And it's just very funny how like every scene has their kind of like thing. You know? So legendary standups from Chicago, you got Hannibal Burris, right? Yep. Pete Holmes, I think, right? Pete, um, Kumail Nagiani. Sure. Um, who else was from here? Is he an idol of yours? He, uh, <laughs> he actually. What's funny is he's someone like he feels like a John Oliver to me, if that makes sense. Yes, totally. Where he's like doing a bunch of shit, but is yeah. a very good stand-up too. Totally. Which is almost more annoying because you're like. You don't. You can just drop into stand up and be amazing, right? But then you're also an incredible actor. Incredible actor time. have like all this other stuff going as written movies, like shit like that. Yeah. But you also have to understand he started as a stand up. Totally. So that's the same thing with all these people. You're like that is the foundation for all these other things. And yeah. I mean, I've like you know, I like wrote up. I wrote a pilot. Like I wrote a show. I wrote like I'm trying to do. And I'm seeing how stand-up is such a like a grounding force for all that sure. that I want to be able to like I've acted in some stuff like that's pretty cool. I want to be able to like have stand-up all the time and be able to drop in, and that's for me. That's like what I really want to do is like I love stand-up. That's like the main thing. But it is nice to be like to know this is also helping me in these other kind of avenues. You know? Yeah. Could you imagine if you only did comedy for like two months? And then you didn't do anything for like a year and a half. And then you hoped that you got another gig. Like it doesn't like, how yeah. would you be good? You know, it you're doesn't, practicing constantly. It's just the thing with stand up is that's cool. That's what's cool about it is you're like, yeah, I wrote this pilot. I'm, I sent it out. I guess I just wait until someone picks it up. But in stand up, you're like, well, I can just do shows until, you know, like you never need to stop. Right. Um, and even now, like I'm at the point where I could, I could like pop up a show somewhere if I wanted to and just run it and like have the, you know, the rapport here to do that. And I can also always do like lower, like I can take stuff that's like not as good, but I can get that easier because I can be like, Hey, I'm in town this week. I want to hop on or whatever. And usually people are pretty good about that. You said you run your own show, correct? Yeah. So I have, uh, me and another comic, uh, we started this company a few years ago, like when we started comedy called Team Us Comedy. So we have, we recorded that album together as a joint album. That's okay. the one that went number one. But we also produce a bunch of things. So we have like a show at, in Wicker Park called at the Comedy Clubhouse. So it's our show. We don't like brand it as like me and this other guy, but it's like. What's it called? It's called uh, the, co it's called the Main Stage Mic. Um, it's at the comedy clubhouse, but we basically book it and we run it. But like, I'm not there. I'm there like once or twice a month because right. if I'm in town or whatever, but that's technically our show kind of self runs. The venue also helps. So it's like, we have these like kind of shows like that, which are just like happening. And at any given time, you might have like one or two or three. That's a weekly. We also have like once a month, we'll have a show in Manhattan, Illinois. We'll have a show in Crown Point well, once a quarter. We'll have a show in Lamont once every Just few months. Just because you know the booker there? or Yeah, or it's like a venue reached out to us. So like, hey, we want to do a quarterly comedy show. Can you just book it and deal with it and make it good? Here's our audience. Like, here's a budget. And so we just yeah. are, we have a lot of these kind of like, we call them one-nighters in the in the industry. Right. So we have a bunch of those kind of throughout the, the, you know, the Midwest. Right. What's the difference between Illinois and Wisconsin or Indiana? I doubt you go there, but. Uh, no, actually, unfortunately, I go there quite a bit. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, Indiana has like 
they have like Indianapolis, they have four way like bigger cities which are great. They have clubs yeah. like Helium is out there, which I've done. But then they also have like you have like South Bend. You have like these smaller things where hour away, hour and a half away, and totally different market than Chicago, right? Totally different people. Yeah. But don't have a comedy club necessarily right there or whatever. So you can go there and put on a pretty good show. And a lot of times these smaller places that you'd be surprised, they're, they're like happy that you're there. Sure. Because they're like, hey, thanks for like coming to our town. So we viewed it early on when we started all these shows. We're like, we're just trying to get stage time. And yeah. when you're two or three years in the, in the comedy, you're not getting more than 10 minutes in Chicago, maybe 15. Even when you're headlining here, there's so many good comics that when you do the Laugh Factory, uh, I'll be on the same lineup. All of us are doing 10 minutes on a Saturday which is the best show in Chicago, arguably, the Saturday Laugh Factory shows always sell out. But you're like, I'm doing 10 minutes. I should be, I'm trying to get build my half hour, build my hour. I should do an hour. Right I should now. be, you know, I have to go and where can I get that? And that stage, you're like, I can go put on a show in Barrington or whatever and then do uh, 45 minutes there and like get good. You what know? do those pay? Obviously, you're, you've leveled up now in the game, but like early on these bar shows, I mean, what is there, like 30 people there, 50 people? You're in a suburb somewhere like- Yeah, so those are- bucks? Like yeah, what? those are usually like 50, 40, you know, right. we call it like bar shows are anywhere from free- they don't pay anything right. or you pay them five bucks. Yeah, or they're like they literally sometimes they'll pass a bucket around, take donations, split it. Like really that's how again hungry comics are for stage time is that it's if the if the show is good, if there's a crowd, comics will like do it for free, basically. They're, you're gonna get a level of comic that will do it for free. Even now at this level where I'm like, I don't really do any unpaid spots, but there are still times when I'm like, I need to go work something out or I need to get up. And I'm just going to go to this mic or this, and then I'll do it. But right. now I'm luckily in a position where I can be like, all right, I got this show coming up on Tuesday. It's $30, but I can work some new stuff. I'm doing 15 minutes. I have enough time to like work the new stuff in. Right. But when you're new, you're like, I only have one show in two weeks. And you're like, I have to get on stage between that. Oh my God. So how, how nerve wracking is that? Like in between show, you know, you're like, Oh, I did horrible last time. Like, I yeah. Want to do well, that's you know? why, that's why open mics are helpful. Cause you can just go and do a mic anytime. So you're like, okay, I bombed at this one mic, but I got another one in an hour or 30 minutes or same time, you know? Yeah. Like I was saying, I've thought about doing it. I love stand up. I love comedy podcasts, old stuff. But the reason why I did the podcast instead of trying to do stand up is because it just seems so hard. It's such, it's, it's a, a mental, the grind. first year is such a grind because yeah. mics are weird because mics, you're only doing like three to five minutes of material, but the time it takes, you have to go an hour, say this mic is at 7.30, right. sign up will be at seven, means you have to get there at like six because if the sign up's at seven, people are going to start getting there early and if you're there at six, you'll be up in the first few, which is the best part of the mic. Otherwise, you get there at seven, you're last on the list. <laughs> So you have an hour and a half to wait. By the time you go up, everyone has done their set and left. So it's not productive. So you just wasted two hours yeah. and bombed. And so you have to start to figure out how to do it efficiently. So I was able to be like, okay, this mic is online sign up. So let me sign up online for this one. I'll go there right at the time his show starts. In the meantime, I'll go sign up at this other mic that's like nearby. Right. Go do my set at this one, come back, and you get to just be crazy. Very efficient. So you get super efficient. And New York, you can even do it more than that. You can do a 3 p.m. mic. Right. And I've do heard a five. You can do like five sets in New York, hypothetically. Yeah, you can do it here too on a weekend, um, like shows. You can do five shows if you really wanted to. Um, but you can do 10 mics in a day in New York if you really wanted to. That's crazy. I mean, but think about that. Even if five are bad, you're still doing five reps on one day. How good you get because you're just like running right. it. Right, you know? exactly. Whereas in LA or something like that, 
This LA, is- it's like people do one show a month sometimes, and that's like that's a big deal. It's crazy. That's why LA was never appealing to me to live in, unless I was I had a job in comedy, like a writing job. Totally, you know, something paying your bills there. You can work at the kind of higher end. Yeah. Again, you're in the industry at that point, though. But so, yeah, they say that you like basically get good in New York and then move to LA. Essentially, is like they well, they say that about like Chicago. It's like get thing. good in Chicago and then move to New York or LA. Right. But now with the post pandemic, it's like people are like, what about Austin? Austin's now a contender. You know, is it going to pop? You think the bubble? I think it already has kind of popped in a way because the clubs they opened a bunch of clubs. There's like right. ten clubs now, but. The problem is there is like that mothership club, which is Rogan's club. Like they're booking other comics from other, like they're bringing New York comics there. Bringing, like, you know, it's not, there is a level of local work happening, but it's more so the local scene, I think, is, is kind of like, it's so tapped, you know? But from what I've heard, like the shows are packed. Like, you know, if you, so if you're good, I think that it's a good time to go now because if you're already good, you can stand out, I think. You know? Right. Yeah, I guess I assumed that more mics and stuff like that would pop up at bar shows, things like that. Yeah. But also, who's going to all the shows? You know, there's only like a million people there. That's what's surprising. I, from what I've heard, people are like, the shows are full. Like, I was talking to another friend of mine who just went, and he's like, yeah, I feel like a couple, like 10 spots in a week, which is, you can do that in like Chicago, right? So it's surprising to hear that A, but then he's like, most of them are pretty good. And that's surprising to your point, because I'm like, who is attending these? But I guess comedy in Austin is such a thing now. You know, I think people are excited because there is this influx of like bigger comedians coming down there. And so it's like spreading the goodwill of it, you know? Right. Maybe you wouldn't have gone to a comedy show before, but you hear the biggest comedians are in town. Yeah. And so you might, you don't know any better. You're just going to show up to this water show on a Tuesday, you know? And so I got to go, I'll, I'll make a trip this year because I've done New York and LA more recently than Austin. So I, I need to go back to Austin and do it. Have you done Kill Tony? Haven't done Kill Tony. I would definitely try to do it. In Austin, I just, my view on it initially was, this is stupid, it's just kind of like a shitting on comedians type of show, which I don't like. It can be brutal sometimes, yeah. But, (laughs) I also have seen people who pop kind of from it. Oh, yeah. You know? It's almost like a way to bring back the late night show, the Johnny Carson or whatever, where it's like, you've never heard of this guy, but you're watching this popular show. You might be good, might be bad. And I kind of think the audience, they've trained the audience to be like, like I know a friend who did it and she got like a pretty few thousand follower bump when she did it. And then people were like commenting, just saw your set on Kill Tony. Like that's, that's pretty, pretty cool. that's pretty cool. You have a, a comedy fan now oh, who follows yeah. you. Right, you know? which is way more. It's better than a random person. Right, exactly. It holds more weight than just some random guy that saw your clip on Instagram. 100%, yeah. yeah. Which is still good, but you're like, this person might actually buy a ticket, you know? So that's the other thing, right? How do you convert likes into follows into ticket buyers? I mean, that's such a hard jump. Physical so it's money, also you know? one that's like not really quantifiable. Like right. I think in in Chicago, very few people like that's why club. That's a kind of good thing about Chicago is that there's no one here is really a draw. We call it being a draw, right? But when you start to get good enough and you get recognition enough and you can draw, it it means something. If you can fill, you know, this weekly show I do, it's consistently gets a handful of people that coming to see me. And so that's powerful to, for me. Cause I can okay. use that as like a bargaining chip of like, Hey, I have 10 to 20 people who come every week that are just going to come right. because it's a standing show. Yeah, yeah. And, but that's rare to have in Chicago or in, in these markets. Cause people are normally like, if I had that, it's usually outside, I'm going to tour or whatever. But when you do something local, then it's nice. Cause you can pull people to come. Cause you're like, Hey, I'm doing this big show and I want my local fans to come. 
So whenever I like headline zanies or like do something big like that, it is nice to be able to be like, I can, I can sell this, you know, but it is weird because I have like 7,000 followers. So it doesn't, it doesn't feel like it would be the case, but then they're act, they're engaged. They're in an engaged 7,000. So what I mean by that is like, these are the people that are not only liking and following, they're also going to buy tickets. They fully convert Right, I know people who have fifteen, twenty thousand who are like maybe newer. They're not headliners, but they're features. They can't sell tickets. Yeah. So it doesn't always mean all because you have twenty thousand followers doesn't mean you have you're gonna sell out everywhere. It's one stat on the it, list. It's just and so it's hard to like kind of. That's why I think the time in the game matters because that is like oh that these following people who are following me have been following me for a long time and they're gonna come to should I do right yeah. so. Really cool. I want to hit, like, obviously 10K is a goal. Once I hit 10K, I feel like that's, like, means something. Sure. But, I mean, you think about selling out across the country, you got to have hundreds of thousands of followers. Yeah. It's a big country. <laughs> yeah, so. Right, exactly. So, also, back in the day, clubs used to be responsible for the audience themselves, right? Like, if you went on yeah. the road somewhere, hypothetically, they would have their own following. That's I, that's the idea. And some clubs do. Some right. clubs do. But now it's kind of switched where it's like, no, you need to bring the people. You yeah. need to sell it out. Yeah. And that's a, it's a mixed bag. And I think what's interesting is some clubs are like, so if you're coming into Zany's and doing a Tuesday and you're not from Chicago and you're like a random, they're expecting you to probably fill that. But to incentivize you, they give you a, a lucrative door deal. They're like, you take... 100% of the tickets or 80% of the tickets. We'll take 20. We take all the food and drink. Right. We want all the because they're banking on you to sell out the club on an off-peak day, right? So because of that, they give you this door deal. So for you, you come in on one day, you make $5,000. Yeah. It's pretty good. Yeah. And you can go to Milwaukee the next day and make 5000 there. You can do it in a week and make like ten grand. Right. So those are people who have big followings in these niche markets will do that. But say you're coming in on like a Friday to Madison Comedy on State, you're there on a Friday, that club is going to get 100 people on a Friday regardless. So that's arguably the best club in the country? One of the best, yeah. Is Denver? Denver Comedy Works, uh, Comedy on State. Um, I think there's a couple others I'm missing. Uh, obviously, I have like the store and the cellar, but for like headliner club, like host feature headliner type uh, club. You could argue the, st- the store is kind of fucked, right? Like, Yeah, it's just like, that's like a showcase though. You know, you're not really seeing people do like, you're not having someone do the whole weekend there. That's like a one guy. Right, exactly. Know? But yeah, right. Madison is great because it has such a reputation that people, if they don't know, if I'm there on a Saturday for whatever reason, they're going to like, we're going to come just based on the reputation of the club. And that's that's what Zany's has a little bit of that because people come to Zany's, people come to Second City for that. Like, I don't know what this is, but it's Second City. So the name carries Laugh Factory. People are like, I see Laugh Factory marquee. Right. They're going to be funny. It's Laugh Factory. And that is true to an extent. That's why the clubs have a, a lot of clubs will try to like keep that luster because they don't want it to dilute. So that's why people get mad when then someone comes in on a Monday and is bad but sells out because then people are like, you're lowering the quality of the right. image of the club. I thought you guys had good taste. Yeah. What, what's the hell? So it's a, it's a mixed bag. I mean, if you're producing a show like independently, you always ask the venue, you're like, do you guys get a built-in crowd? Because that also helps when you're like, right. is it on me to fill the crowd? But a lot of venues, like this comedy clubhouse venue, that gets its own little crowd. And then us having the show, they're also big. So it's like we work together to kind of fill it. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. It's fascinating. Okay, so what about clean comedy? Some of these clubs you have to work clean, right? Yeah. So that's why the dry bar thing has really helped in some of these southern markets because a lot of clubs will be like, they don't need you to be clean, but they want to see 
And a lot of clubs used to only pass you if you could do clean. So the Laugh Factory used to have a process before I even started, really. But you would have to do five or ten minutes of clean comedy at the open mic. The open mic was all clean. So they wanted to see if you could write a joke. Because clean comedy is more structural, right? Uh, and they're like, can you write jokes without being dirty and be funny? If you are, that means it shows a level of skill, level of, you know. And then we're like, then you can get, once you get passed, you do whatever you want. Right. So now at clubs like... And I still, there's still a mentality of like the host should be a little cleaner. Then it can get the feature and headline to kind of do whatever they want. But there's like a later in the set, you get a little yeah, bit crazier once you build. Yeah, once you build some trust. Right. But it's also like you respect your role in the show. If you're the host of a show, you don't want to come in and start start with an abortion joke. Like right. no one knows who you are. Start you're just in the stool. Yeah, you don't want to do that. But there are people who don't who are like ah, it doesn't matter. I don't care. But kind of the old school mentality is like okay. start the show for everybody kind of get everyone on board and then as the show builds do whatever the fuck you want you know have you ever watched Talking Funny yes Gervais yeah yeah Seinfeld Louis it's and great Chris Rock it's crazy they, they talk about clean versus whatever yeah and those guys like you know I think only Seinfeld out of that group is clean yeah. but Seinfeld is it, it is I think it's harder but I actually heard Joe List just say this on a podcast which I, I agree with this is like I don't Tuesdays with stories yeah which is a great podcast but he was like if you're you should be yourself so meaning if you are if you think and talk kind of clean then be a clean comedian but if you think right. and talk like how I talk which is not clean it's not it's not filthy but it's 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 kind of dirty and it's like but I I feel like that's myself I, I should be myself on set that's what I'm striving to be yeah. so if I'm super clean it's not really authentic right so yeah you're, you're pretending pretending and that's not comedy the whole point of this is the better I get at this the longer I do it the best part is when it's like you feel like you're one to one yourself you're yourself on stage right. and that is the best feeling because you're like oh I'm just being me up here right. so I don't care if it's clean or dirty it's funny because it's me and you, you can know? feel the authenticity in a comedian yeah. if they're too stiff or something you're like oh, oh that, being genuine gross. I mean this is the thing in the last year I've been really fixated on is we, uh, being performative versus being uh, you know like uh, and authentic because if it's if you're performative meaning you go up there and you're like you're saying something and it's like you're just rehearsed and you're just regurgitating yeah. versus reacting in the moment the audience is going to feel that and if you're if you're so genuine you can even be bad but if you're so genuine and so authentic, you'll get a pass from the crowd. Conversely, if you're the best comic on earth, you're super technical, all the jokes are perfect, but you have no connection with the audience, you're very performative, they're not going to care. Right. So you have to find this balance, you know? Definitely. Yeah, it's uh, it's fascinating trying to find find your voice. But It's, a, it's a very frustrating right. because, you know, and it, it kind of changes, like, what's happening in your life, you know? Like, as you get older, things change. Like, what you start talking about changes. I used to, when I started, I was working, I, all my content was like work, blah, 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 but very relatable because I was also performing to people who had nine to five jobs. And now yeah. it's like, I'm happy I had that then because now with full time, I don't have like office stuff to talk about. But I'm skilled, I'm more skilled as a comedian that I can make other things funny enough for that crowd too. You know? Yeah, you don't want to do the airline food bullshit no 100 you want to there are relatable topics but there's also just relatable like emotions and i think that's what i'm kind of chasing now is like we all go through these uh, uh, emotions or these feelings that we all have as people so how do i make that funny that's a lot harder to make funny because it's more vulnerable right but it's more interesting to me you know how do you or uh do you have a topic that you don't talk about your family or something like that i mean the Not general you talk about it no but. the general rule and i think this is also something i heard if you if you haven't experienced it you know or it's not a group you're a part of probably don't 
talk about it, you know, or if you do talk about it, you have to kind of take yourself out of it and, and have the right, you got to punch the right direction. Right. So like, obviously I have jokes on things that like, but I, I don't have anything. I don't, I don't think there's anything off limits in comedy. That's not my view on it. I think you can talk about if, if, the more controversial things you talk about, the funnier the jokes have to be because if they're not funny, you're going to feel the consequence from the audience, right? Right. But I think the audience corrects. Like, I think there's a self-correction of comedy. That's why it's great. You can be crazy and say the worst thing in, your, in the world, but no one's going to laugh and you're going to get booed off stage. So right. it kind of is a self-governing entity, you know? Definitely. That's why, like, Jeselnik who, again, somebody doesn't talk about himself at all, but then talks about the craziest shit on earth. Because that's also, he's got a character. People understand it's a character. Right, you but know? that's not, it's hard to do. Also, you kind of yeah. trap yourself into the character. Yeah, that's the thing. And I, I made a decision early on where I just, I never was, I know some great character comics who were like, sure. they're not like that on offstage at all. But then they go on stage and they, they get licensed to do some things, but then to your point, they don't get licensed to do others because of they locked into the character. So there's some really, you know, I think these are people who go more like the SNL track, you know, that type of thing. But I've always been interested in be like, I'm just be myself, right. you know, but I don't, I, it's a thing I envy sometimes. Cause I'm like, Oh, it would be fun to just like yeah. be crazy and just be whatever. But I'm like, I have to be earn it a little bit. You, but know? you could do a once a month, you put on a wig and sunglasses yeah. and change your name and do True. something crazy. No, and, and, and I've, I actually did a show. It's funny you brought that up Did this show a couple of weeks ago called wigs. Oh, that's awesome. Where you wear a wig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was interesting because I was like, I've never like changed my look that drastically on stage. Maybe besides like what I wear, but right. I kind of was like, Oh, I can kind of like change my material based on this. So it was a nice little preview of what that could be. Cause that is fun to go. I mean, what's his name? Um, there's a couple of comics. This guy who does Dr. Phil, now incredible you know like and adam i ray. adam ray and i was like that's just the whole thing he does if you have not listeners at home if you've not seen the dr phil is it, i need to check it out oh man it's it's incredible we should uh want to wrap it yeah, up yeah we can wrap it up okay Vic, thank you so much this was awesome i love talking comedy with you uh hopefully we get to do it again thank you very yeah, much. yeah dude thanks for coming do you want to uh, plug anything or uh people can follow me on all social medias at Vic Pondia. Um, like I said, I got this weekly show at the comedy bar once a week in Chicago, but on tour. So see me in your city, you know, just check it out. Vic Pondia. Check them out. All right. Thank you, man. Thanks, man.